Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star then zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, well, oh, thank you so much, Regina, and I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program, The Benefits of Clinical Trials for Triple Negative Breast Cancer. And today's program is done in partnership with the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, and this program is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, an independent grant from Merck and Company, Inc., and Gilead. I really want to thank them for their support to this program. Now, um, before I move on and, uh, to the program, I want to actually identify that we have over 475 participants on this program today, and you've come from all of the United States, from both urban, rural, suburban, and frontier communities. And we also have international participants in quite a long list. I'm just going to read them. Algeria, Argentina, Australia, Canada, Egypt, France, Ghana, India, Italy, Laos, Poland, Portugal, Sweden, and United Kingdom. So you, it's really a global call, and it's a credit to each of you that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. And now it is my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker. And our first speaker is Dr. Antoinette Tan, and Dr. Tan is Chief Section of Breast Medical Oncology Director, Phase One Program Chair, Department of Solid Tumor Oncology and Investigational Therapeutics, Levine Cancer Institute, Clinical Professor, Department of Internal Medicine, Section on Hematology and Oncology, Wake Forest University School of Medicine, Atrium Health. And Dr. Tan will be addressing the treatment of triple negative breast cancer, why clinical trials are important as a treatment option for triple negative breast cancer, what happens in a clinical trial, stages of clinical trials and new research in the treatment of triple negative breast cancer, and investigational new drugs and clinical trials. It is my great pleasure to present to you my esteemed colleague, Dr. Tan. Thank you so much for that introduction, and it's a pleasure to be here today on this um, audio program. Um, and as was said before, I'm going to start off with a description of the treatment of triple negative breast cancer and just to um, set the stage uh, with regards to triple negative breast cancer and what that is, it gets its name because it lacks the three receptors, estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, and human epidermal growth factor receptor type 2. Um, now, early stage triple negative breast cancer is treated with several modalities. Um, it's usually a combination of chemotherapy, surgery, and or radiation therapy. Um, there are some patients that can be treated with a newer class of agents um, called immunotherapy, depending on the size of the tumor and whether there's involvement of lymph nodes. Um, and immunotherapy, how you can think about it is it takes the breaks off the natural factors that limit how the immune system can control tumor cells. And the way that this is currently utilized um, for early stage triple negative breast cancer is to be given in combination with chemotherapy, um, which is called, uh, you know, prior to surgery, and that approach is called neoadjuvant treatment. Um, and the immunotherapy then also gets continued um, post-surgery. Um, I'm going to talk um, a little bit about metastatic triple negative breast cancer, which is breast cancer that has spread to different organs and is treated with different types of drugs. Um, and as a breast cancer um, medical oncologist, uh, you know, I'm very um, pleased to see developments um, that have been made um, in the last couple years with regards to the availability 
of newer agents. Uh, traditionally, um, chemotherapy has really been um, the only treatment available in, in terms of um, patients with advanced um, triple negative breast cancer, but we've really seen the field change um, with the availability now of immunotherapy, um, and this has, um, you know, led to treating patients with a combination of chemotherapy and immunotherapy. Um, we, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really also pleased to see that we're, we're moving towards a more precision medicine approach to treat um, triple negative breast cancer and that we now have um, biomarkers available to us. Um, for example, um, the BRCA gene um, now, um, if, if a triple negative breast cancer patient has a, um, a mutation um, in BRCA, there's availability of drugs called PARP inhibitors, um, and that stands for poly-ADP ribose polymerase. Um, and then another example, too, of how the field is um, changing, um, and again, a, a really um, exciting time, is another class of drug called antibody drug conjugates, um, and, and these are novel ways to deliver chemotherapy um, precisely, depending on the target, while also sparing um, healthy cells. So despite breast cancer being the most studied tumor type, and in the case of triple negative breast cancer, and while I did emphasize that the field is changing, um, you know, treatment options could still be viewed as, as, as limiting, and with regards to triple negative breast cancer, it tends to grow and spread more quickly than other types of breast cancer and therefore considered um, more aggressive than other forms of breast cancer. Fortunately, much research is ongoing to develop new therapies and, as I said, try to tailor those therapies, um, you know, to the t tumor's um, biology. Um, and so clinical trials, uh, you know, really allow um, um, or afford the opportunity for patients to have access to drugs that would not normally be available. And I truly believe that patients should be considered for a clinical trial option really at every step of the way uh, during their treatment journey. Um, and patients who participate in a clinical trial at any stage of their disease can benefit um, in several ways. Um, and th this includes access to novel therapies, um, control of symptoms and side effects that, that positively, you know, could impact quality of life. Um, and there's also additional oversight that, that one gets on a trial, um, increased follow-up by healthcare personnel that are, are trained, um, you know, in the conduct of clinical research. So what happens in a clinical trial? So typically what happens in a clinical trial or study is that the research staff will explain the trial in detail, answer questions, gather more information about, about you, um, you know, if someone agrees to participate, the, it's necessary to sign an informed consent form, and you'll hear more about that later, um, which would indicate your understanding about what to expect as a participant and the various outcomes that, that could occur. Um, one is screened to make sure one is, is qualified, um, you know, to participate. There are certain um, very uh, specific um, criteria that need to be met. And if one's accepted in the trial, um, and the first visit is called a baseline visit, and uh, certain tests need to be conducted to just ensure um, eligibility, and that would could include most often um, an examine a physical examination, lab work, um, and for some trials that test for an intervention, one could be assigned by chance to a treatment group or a control group, um, and often the treatment group will get the intervention being tested. The control group could be what's considered the standard of care treatment. Um, and those who participate on trials um, would need to report, you know, any issues, any side effects, any concerns to the researchers. And they're going to be followed, at, you know, and come to the research site. There will be regularly scheduled times for a physical exam checkup, blood work, imaging um, at different time points, which would be explained um, and detailed. Um, and then during these visits, the team is collecting data and, and, and monitoring um, a participant's safety, you know, and well-being. 
Um, now let me talk about clinical trials um, in terms of um, the different stages. I mean, clinical trials of drugs really advance through several phases to test the safety, determine effectiveness, and identify side effects. Um, the FDA typically, FDA based in the United States, typically requires uh, a phase one, two, and three trial to be conducted to determine if the drug can be approved for future use. And if researchers find the intervention to be safe and effective after these first three phases, then the FDA would approve it for clinical use. Um, and there could be some post-marketing um, type of um, monitoring, um, you know, even after that. Um, each phase has a different purpose, and the earliest um, trial type is called phase one. Um, and a phase one trial is testing a investigational drug on a small uh, group of people. It could be as small as 20 people or 80 people um, to really judge its safety, um, including any side effects, um, testing if the dose is um, the right amount to give um, to a participant. Now, a phase two trial, which would be the next stage, would include more participants. Um, it, it could be in, in the hundreds um, to help determine whether a drug is um, effective, whether it works. Um, and this phase of the trial is geared to obtaining preliminary data um, of the drug's efficacy uh, in a certain uh, tumor type. Um, and so at the same time, though, the trial will also continue to collect data on the safety, um, including, um, you know, short and, you know, long-term side effects. Now, the most advanced stage of a trial would be a phase three trial. Uh, and, and the purpose of this is to gather additional information from several hundred to a few thousand um, participants about the safety and effectiveness. Um, it could be studying um, different populations and different dosages, but it's really comparing the uh, experimental or investigational intervention with a what would be considered the current standard of care um, you know, for that particular uh, type of, of, of condition. Um, and if the FDA agree, um, or after re if the FDA you know, reviews the results and the trial results um, support that the intervention leads to, for example, patients living longer or um, improvement in quality of life, um, you know, they, they will decide whether the um, drug will be um, you know, approved and available for, 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 for use. Um, so, in terms of um, you know, we we've seen I've seen you know, we've seen witness great advances in, in the treatment of triple negative breast cancer and new approaches. Um, and and how that has happened though is um, a direct effect or a direct result of clinical trial conduct and patients participating in these trials. Um, and certainly it's a very, um, you know, safe and organized way to test new drugs, um, I mean, not only for triple negative breast cancer, but other types of cancers. Um, I will mention um, a couple of drug names. Um, again, they're not FDA approved um, for triple negative breast cancer, but, but I think worth highlighting to just show you what's kind of coming down the, you know, coming down the, the road. Um, you know, I mentioned a new class of drugs called antibody drug conjugates, um, which really le leverage, um, you know, targeting a specific protein to precisely target cancer cells, um, but it's linked to a um, chemotherapy agent um, by a linker molecule. So, um, you know, one example of a drug that is currently being tested um, in triple negative breast cancer, um, actually early stage triple negative breast cancer, is called uh, datopotamab deruxtecan. Um, so this is a drug um, that targets a protein called TROP2, T-R-O-P2, which is found um, uh, or expressed highly in triple negative breast cancer tumors. 
Um, and then it's, um, you know, the, the cancer cell killing component of this agent is joined with a linker or connector. Um, and so there's some early studies, phase one studies, where I mentioned before, where the drug is testing the safety of the drug and make sure it's, it's safe to give in, in patients. Um, and it's showing that, um, it's showing some encouraging data in terms of uh, shrinking uh, tumors in patients that have metastatic triple negative breast cancer. So this and, you know, other agents are, um, you know, currently being, um, you know, evaluated in clinical trial settings. And, and this is, um, you know, this is how we move the field forward and how we find, you know, better, better options for, for patients um, and their treatment. Oh, well, thank you so much, Dr. Tian. That was an excellent presentation, just wonderful, stellar presentation, really set the stage for today's program. So I know there'll be questions to you during the Q&A. Thank you so much. And our next speaker is Dr. Wade Smith, and Dr. Smith is breast cancer specialist, assistant clinical professor, Department of Medical Oncology and Therapeutics Research, City of Hope, Newport Beach, California, and Dr. Smith will be addressing the meaning of informed consent, benefits and risks of participation, how and where clinical trials are conducted, how to participate in clinical trials, and specific questions to ask your healthcare team about clinical trials, and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, and discussion of open notes. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Smith. Thank you, Dr. Mesner, um, and it's uh, my, my pleasure and privilege to be on this panel uh, presentation today and uh, with my uh, esteemed co-presenters. And uh, what I'll be doing is basically dovetailing with Dr. Tan, talking about clinical trials in the setting of triple negative breast cancer uh, as, a, as a medical oncologist who focuses on breast cancer and uh, from a research standpoint, I'm very interested in triple negative breast cancer and um, am an investigator on, on multiple trials. I'm well familiar with the process of um, interviewing with patients, having them screened, eventually having them consented and enrolled onto these trials. Clinical trials are important. I think it really is what kind of distinguishes um, uh, one center from another is, is beyond standard of care. You know, what clinical trials do we have for particularly patients that have a more maybe challenging presentation, perhaps a, um, a cancer type that's not responding to standard treatments, very important to have this uh, as an available option. So again, who, who benefits? High-risk breast cancer, so in the setting of triple negative breast cancer. Most triple negative breast cancers are tend to be aggressive, fast-growing, um, and as such, uh, we, we look at beyond just the fact it's triple negative. When we look at the size of the tumor, we look at whether there are lymph nodes involved uh, in the case of early-stage cancer, as well as um, other high-risk features in the setting of incurable metastatic breast cancer. So high-risk cancer patients benefit. Um, we talk about patients who, for instance, may present with an early-stage breast cancer. They may be started on chemotherapy, and then at the time of surgery, they don't have a complete response. There's significant residual tumor left uh, at time of surgery. We know that the chemotherapy we gave was not wholly effective at um, controlling potential disease outside of the breast that could recur as an incurable cancer. So we really want to double down. We want to be able to offer something that has a unique mechanism of action that's going to, um, that's going to basically improve the likelihood of the patient not having a breast cancer recurrence. So those, those patients will likely benefit. Um, and really, I would say any line of uh, therapy in the metastatic setting. So a patient who has cancer, triple negative breast cancer outside of the breast involving other areas of the body, you know, just from what we know about triple negative breast cancer, if we have a good trial um, that will benefit the patient, we, we try to offer that to them, even, even in the first line of therapy at time of diagnosis, essentially. And so you heard Dr. Tan kind of talk about the phases of clinical trials. And so the phases um, more or less can apply to uh, the patient themselves. So, for instance, a phase one, you heard that a phase one is really where we first look at a, a new drug, a new investigational drug that may not have even been tested on humans before. May, we may only have, you know, mouse model data. And so, um, you know, we're basically looking primarily for safety, but we're also looking for response. So a patient who is enrolled onto a phase one trial, you know, knows that, yes, they're helping to advance science, but we're also looking 
particularly those patients that might have progressed on multiple prior lines of therapy um, that, you know, are, are, have a challenging cancer to treat, we are looking kind of outside of the box. We are looking for a novel mechanism of action. So, so a phase one trial could be very appropriate for that patient. A phase two trial, that means we have some data already collected um, and we have, you know, safety data uh, behind the drug, but we're really looking to answer, is it effective? Is it effective in a, a particular subtype of cancer, a type of patient? But we're still evaluating for safety, as Dr. Tan mentioned. More patients, typically we enroll more patients onto this trial. Um, and again, a phase two trial, very appropriate for somebody who may have progressed on, you know, one or two or three lines of therapy. We're really looking for something that has a novel mechanism of action, uh, something that will give hope to controlling this tumor. A phase three trial, you know, I often look at phase three trials as um, applicable to really any patient, but those are often the patients who, as I mentioned, may be, for instance, first-line uh, therapy, meaning newly diagnosed with cancer that's advanced, that's involving outside of the breast. And we want a drug that um, has really adequate efficacy data behind it, you know, that has really um, performed well through the phase one and phase two trials and now is ready for phase three, testing on a larger population of patients. We're also looking at safety, but we, we know that this drug has efficacy behind or at least we have, you know, confidence it has uh, likely efficacy. And what we're doing is we're testing it against the standard of care. So so that's where I see patients fitting into these phases of, of clinical trials. So when we see a patient, you know, we screen them. We make sure that they meet the criteria, that they don't have any um, either uh, coexisting health conditions or any other um, uh, elements to their presentation that would make them inappropriate for the trial. So once we've screened them and found that patient to be appropriate for the trial, we obtain an informed consent. So, um, and this is a vital part of cancer research because, I mean, there are very many federal rules behind this. It really uh, delves into the ethics behind clinical trials. We need to make sure that the patient um, uh, is knowledgeable as to what we're doing and um, as such, um, you know, we'll have the research team meet with the patient. We'll really thoroughly go through the purpose, the procedures, the risks, the benefits, and um, make, making sure that, you know, the patient knows to ask the right questions. And, and I think that's, that's on the part of the patient. You know, it's, I think, um, going in there, having somebody come with you um, and, you know, asking questions about details of the treatment, the tests, uh, all very important. And, um, and, you know, we also discuss, you know, importantly, the rights of the patient and um, including, you know, your right to decide, the patient's right to decide to take part in a trial or lead the study at any point in time. You're not, you know, you're not tied into it. You can, you know, you have that freedom to lead the study if, if um, for, for really any reason. And um, you have the right to kind of hear and, and read the information, uh, everything that's presented to the point of understanding and sometimes language is a factor. Really, if there's any question about, um, you know, language comprehension, we make sure that we have an interpreter involved. And um, so it is, it is an involved process. And, um, you know, after discussing, um, you know, the trial, we give you the, uh, consent, the informed consent form to read and, um, and take your time, go through it come up with more questions, and once you've agreed, then we proceed. Um, but again, even after you sign the form, you can leave the study at any time. I think that's an important takeaway. As new information becomes available, this, this team will update you. Um, possible benefits to, uh, to joining uh, a clinical trial, basically being enrolled. Uh, the trial can help researchers learn more about cancer and help people in the future, and that's actually a, a common um, expressed reason why why patients want to, you know, participate in trials, they are helping to advance science. And that does provide a certain level of satisfaction. But again, um, it also offers access to a treatment under study that may not be available to people outside of the trial, as, as discussed. So that's, I think, a real incentive that, that is why we present this as an option. And, um, you know, you have an entire research team that, that monitors the patient. So it's kind of an extra layer of monitoring. People who call, who check up on you, who are, uh, you know, confirming um, safety data with respect to, you know, lab results and so forth. So you do have that added level of, of monitoring, which is always reassuring. And then, um, you know, again, 
at the end of the day, this may be a more effective trial than the standard of care. And I think that's that's the big reason why why patients will um, pursue this as an option. And so, um, you know, what are the risks? First of all, you know, again, inversely, conversely, the, the study may not the study drug may not be better than the standard of care, right? So um, I think that's always something to, to factor in. You know, we don't know. So that's why we're asking and attempting to answer the question. A study treatments can have serious side effects, sometimes worse than that might be found with standard of care treatments. So, again, we're learning more about the safety of the therapy. And another thing just I think is just to be aware, there may be expenses. So it's, it's good to ask, are there any you know, out-of-pocket costs, will my insurance be billed? You know, that's an important question to ask. Um, on that note, what are some other questions to be asked, to be asking with respect to the clinical trial? And I think that, you know, again, what is the purpose? Um, I mentioned cost, out-of-pocket cost. Uh, how long will I be in the trial? Um, and then, um, you know, you can ask deeply, why do the researchers believe the treatment being studied is better than uh, the standard of care? Have them be able to explain that to you. And, you know, how many visits will be required? Again, it's, it's, it's typically more involved than receiving standard of care treatment. You're going to probably, you're going to have more interface. You're going to have more either virtual or in-office visits. Typically, there will typically be more blood draws um, because we'll be monitoring, you know, how the, how the drug, for instance, might be metabolized. So that is all something to kind of factor in. Um, and then, you know, how will I be told about the trial's results? Or when will I know if I'm actually receiving the study drug or am I receiving a placebo? So they will hopefully be able to help answer that. And then, um, you know, who do I talk to? Um, you know, who, uh, who will be in charge of my care? You know, am I going to still be under the care of my oncologist? Will I return to my, uh, you know, my, uh, my continuity oncologist? All important questions to ask. Um, and so I think uh, the question of where do clinical trials take place, you know, I think that um, they can take place really anywhere. You know, large cities, small towns, they can take place in uh, within, you know, a uh, large multi-specialty center uh, or within a, you know, kind of a satellite community uh, cancer center. Um, so, you know, you can ask, is there participation closer to where I live so that I don't have to drive an hour. And um, and as such, you know, uh, for instance, where I'm at, you know, we have network sites. We have also our, our two large comprehensive uh, treatment centers. So, you know, we have options for patients. And I think, um, you know, where do I find trials? First of all, where do you find them? So, you know, your, your oncologist, your, your doctor will help you search out where these trials may be. But there are also uh, online sites to, you know, to actually to go to. A uh, network, uh, you know, in other words, um, uh, you know, there's tr clinicaltrials.gov, which is the NCI major site that is somewhat, I think, patient user friendly. At least you can print up some studies and bring them to your oncologist. There are institutional sites. There are also, you know, for instance, within the TNBC Foundation, you know, they have, uh, you know, their their own kind of, um, you know, uh, trial uh you know, matching service that can help you kind of navigate as to, you know, where a trial is close by. And I, that's one thing that I do quite a bit. I see patients in office. I also do kind of telehealth, telemedicine, and I also um, provide kind of cancer support services. So, you know, I belong to a, a kind of a network that offers second opinions virtually uh, to other oncologists and even to patients. So that's something that sometimes ask, you know, whether, for instance, your employee benefits allow you to have like a remote second opinion and I'll, I'll kind of uh, receive a case and I'll look to see where that patient lives and I'll see kind of where where trials are being offered within their vicinity. What would be a reasonable, you know, travel time? What would be the right match for how they're presenting? So that kind of uh, integrates into the whole, uh, you know, telehealth, telemedicine realm in which we operate now. But um, I think that pretty much summarizes what I was asked to go over, so I'm happy to answer questions also afterwards. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you very much, Dr. Smith. That was really outstanding and just really covered a lot of topics. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A. Just a stellar presentation. Just wonderful. Thank you so much. Thanks, as always. Um, and our next speaker is Ms. Melissa Berry. And Ms. Berry is Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's board chair. 
She's a triple negative breast cancer thriver and founder of Cancer Fashionata. And Ms. Berry will be addressing Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's free programs and we'll be going over with you the website and what you can access on the website. Um, it's my pleasure now to um, introduce my esteemed colleague, Ms. Berry. Thank you so much for the kind introduction, Dr. Messner. Uh, first, I would love to take a moment to thank our sponsors and our partners at Cancer Care and my fellow presenters for the excellent overview on clinical trials. And of course, a big thank you to all of you who are tuning in and listening here today. Um, it goes without saying that TAMPC-specific medical research is extremely important to our foundation. We support research at leading medical institutions, and we work very hard to inform you about new developments, including clinical trials. We have scientific bloggers attending all of the major medical conferences, and they are there to provide our community with insights and updates and all of the new and emerging research and treatment options. So if you're interested in receiving these updates, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and X. And of course, you can visit our website at tmbcfoundation.org. Um, today's teleconference is one of the many programs that we offer. And of course, all of our programming is specifically designed to address the needs of the TNBC community. Our educational brochures and fact sheets include information about the clinical trial process, and they're available in print or as free downloads straight from our website. And for those of you who don't know, our website actually offers two free triple negative breast cancer specific clinical trials matching services that are easier to navigate than other portals. Um, one of our matching tools is for all TNBC trials, and another is designed exclusively for those with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. Our website also has a TNBC news section as well as online discussion forums. Um, our other two uh, online resources include two private triple negative breast cancer foundation Facebook groups, and you can easily connect with thousands of women who are also living with TNBC. Uh, these resources are here to help you and to remind you that you're truly not alone. Um, additionally, we have a number of monthly Zoom meetups for our TNBC community. We've got Metastatic Mondays, Tuesdays with TNBC Friends, as well as Thrivers Thursdays. These Zooms provide you with regular opportunities to connect with other TNBC Thrivers and with the TNBC Foundation. They are really fantastic resources, and uh, many of our attendees really never want to miss a meeting. They are incredible. Um, and if you follow us on Facebook, Instagram, X, or visit our website, you will get regular updates on all of our programs, and you can register for any that interest you. So once again, thank you for joining us, and I'll now turn the program back to Dr. Messer. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Perry. That was really outstanding and just a wonderful resource for everyone on this call today. Um, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation has supported, oh, for so many decades, actually, the triple negative um, community and with all these programs and supporting programs. So um, we thank you for all that you're doing. Um, thank you so much. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And our next speaker is Ms. Marissa Fors. And Ms. Fors is an oncology social worker and director of specialized programs at Cancer Care. And she'll be discussing uh, uh, cancer cancer free programs and services, as well as the triple negative breast cancer uh, uh, programs, free programs and services. Um, she will go over the helpline, the triple negative helpline, as well as um, how to email the triple negative breast cancer foundation. So I'm going to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Fors. Uh, well, thank you very much, Dr. Mesner, and. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, my name is Marissa Fors, and I am the Director of Specialized Programs at Cancer Care. Uh, my role includes working with people diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer and their families. Uh, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care have partnered to ensure that those diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer have access to free psychosocial services and support. There are many aspects of a triple negative breast cancer diagnosis that may be addressed throughout psychosocial supportive services, including making informed treatment decisions, quality of life concerns, navigating clinical trials, and even communicating with one's medical team. 
And the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation has generously funded the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Helpline that provides callers with access to comprehensive support services. Some services the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care Helplines provide include resource navigation, counseling, educational workshops, publications, and limited financial assistance. By calling the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Helpline, individuals can connect with an oncology social worker who is aware of the challenges that may arise when diagnosed with a triple negative breast cancer uh, and connect callers to services that best fit their needs. Navigating clinical trials throughout a cancer diagnosis can be very overwhelming. Additional support and guidance, as well as establishing a supportive network, may help to relieve feelings of anxiety and increase hope and empowerment. It can be beneficial to determine ways to approach these challenges that may surface. And joining a support group may offer the chance for patients to speak with one another, gather information, and provide support. Uh, we offer the triple negative breast cancer online support groups. Uh, for patients and caregivers that are moderated by oncology social workers. And you can register through our website at cancercare.org. Individuals may also experience practical, practical concerns related to a diagnosis, and please know that there are organizations that may be able to help. Cancer Care's resource navigation offers a short-term, strength-based approach to people with cancer to address those barriers to care and a trained navigator will work with clients to connect them to resources and additional financial assistance. If you need help navigating clinical trials, there are also resources for you. You can always go to tnbcfoundation.org uh, for information and links to matching services. And a resource called My Trial List makes finding a clinical trial easier for people with cancer. This website, mytriallist.org, provides an easy-to-use trial finder that displays clinical trials near you. You can also find stories from others, find education on trials, and tips to better communicate with your doctor. So I just want to thank you all for your time and participation in this workshop. I hope this information was helpful to learn more about support available to find clinical trials and for support for triple negative breast cancer. And as a reminder, and for more information, you could always reach out to the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation Helpline at 1-877-880-8622 to speak with an oncology social worker. Uh, it's been a pleasure uh, to present to you all today, and I'll now turn the program back to Dr. Mesner. Oh, thank you so much, Ms. Force. That was really excellent, really outstanding. And a wonderful resource to everybody, um, both uh, Cancer Care and the Triple Negative Risk. And now we're going to move on um, to the Q&A. And um, I'm going to ask Regina to explain to all of you how to cure for questions. And we're going to take as many of your questions as possible. Regina. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we'll take questions from the web only. You may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Okay. Um, so um, this is a question um, for um, Dr. Tan. Does a participant need to move, relocate, to participate in a clinical trial outside the area? So it would it would depend. Um, most um, so a, a specific clinical trial could be offered. Um, at different locations, let's say I'm just going to take the United States, like across the nation. Um, and so the hope would be that to participate in one specific trial, one could access like the closest location to your home. Um, and so that would be the ideal situation. Uh, but there is variability as to which trials are open at any like one particular, you know, institution. So um, I, I would hope that it would be rare that one would have to relocate, um, you know, to do that. But again, it, it's just a, it's really dependent on where the trial is opened and how close it is to your home. Excellent. Thank you. Um, and then a question for Dr. Um, Smith. Are there any new um, metastatic triple negative breast cancer trials you know about that sound promising? 
Uh, yeah, so a good question. Uh, there, there are several new um, breast cancer drugs that are promising. Dr. Tan had kind of mentioned one uh, we also refer to as DATO DXD uh, that is basically um, uh, a, um, a new drug, a novel drug that we're looking at. Uh, for instance, uh, at our center, we're looking at it in the uh, early phase, uh, rather uh, early stage breast cancer, curable early stage breast cancer as well as in advanced breast cancer. And again, this is a uh, basically an immune therapy, a, a monoclonal antibody therapy that has a chemotherapy um, molecule attached to it that um, can help to disrupt uh, the, the viability of the cancer cell and uh, with, a, with an overall acceptable um, risk of side effects. So, this is a whole new kind of mechanism of action that we're looking at in triple negative breast cancer. In addition to immune therapies, we're also looking at uh, what we call small molecules that, you know, target the machinery within the cancer cell that uh, we have, a you know, a phase one trial, um, for instance, uh, looking at one called AOH 1996. So, um, yeah, so both from phase one through phase three, there are, you know, very promising agents being looked at. Excellent. Thank you. Oh, Dr. Messner, I would probably yes. add, I mean, just to piggyback, you know, on, on, on what Dr. Smith said. I, I think there's also, um, besides, like, all these new investigational, like, new compounds, you know, they could be first in human, you know, type of drugs. Um, you know, I think the field is also um, looking at perhaps other, like, other strategies, um, you know, to treat metastatic triple negative breast cancer, meaning, like, if a certain agent is approved at a later line setting, for example, let's say it's sasituzumab govotecan, which is an uh, antibody drug conjugate that, that targets trope 2, um, there are uh, strategies now to see if uh, moving that drug earlier, um, you know, in the treatment um, timeline, meaning a first line, combining that with immunotherapy, which is already an agent that is already FDA approved, you know, and seeing if that's a viable strategy, um, you know, to uh, improve clinical outcome. Excellent. Thank you. And the question for you, Dr. Tan, how do I know if participation in a clinical trial is right, is the right choice for me? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. I mean, that is going to be um, driven um, by, I think, input from um, one's oncologist, um, because the oncologist is going to know, you know, what's going on in the field, what is preliminary data, um, that's been available and published in terms of, um, you know, the safety and efficacy of a compound. Um, and so that should really be, um, um, you know, partnership with, with you as the patient, um, you know, to, to have that information, that type of information explained, um, and also to get that recommendation from the provider um, and, know, and knowing what, um, has already been given to, you know, what has already been given to you um, and what's their, you know, their best clinical judgment. And I would also say, too, that, um, you know, one also has to be comfortable, right? After one reads that informed consent, I mean, that informed consent's also going to lay it out um, carefully, right? What's the experience been with the drug? What preliminary activity has already been seen with the agent? Um, and I think one has to um, you know, review that information, try to digest it, you know, ask appropriate questions to your oncologist, um, and, you know, with shared decision-making, you know, get to that point so that you feel comfortable, you know, um, you know participating and signing on. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to have both of you answer, address this question. Um, so our, our participant has lots of uh, information. Thank you so much. Um, and then um, this question, um, I guess for Dr. Tan, are there clinical trials available for TNBC patients who have completed cancer treatment and are deemed cancer-free but are concerned about a future recurrence? Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's a good question. Um, I, I mean, I, I haven't done a recent um, look on clinical trials, which is which I think is a great website, and one can um, you know investigate that way. But but I, I think where the field needs to go, and there could be trials. I know there's trials in other subtypes of breast cancers um, where it would be nice to um, 
have some sort of blood test, right, or biomarker, or you may have heard the term circulating tumor DNA, um, and assess the utility of of um, using that, collecting that blood uh, blood sample over time. I know that um, one of the cooperative groups, which are um, you know these, these large entities that have uh, conducted large adjuvant breast trials, um, you know, and, and there may be others that are you know kind of working on this approach. Uh, and I think this is sort of the next wave, like in terms of um, study designs, meaning, um, like I said, collecting these samples at the stage you just described, and then doing it longitudinally and seeing, but 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 we got to be careful. Like we want to be able to see if it actually correlates, you know, if detecting anything in any of these samples is going to um, indicate that a person is at higher risk of recurrence. So um, that is definitely, you know, a strategy um, that's being worked on, and I think there will be trials if they're not already, you know, available, um, um, you know, for, for early stage TMDC patients. Excellent, thank you. And for Dr. Um, uh, Smith, um, are there quality of life uh, clinical trials that are available for um, uh, people with uh, triple negative breast cancer? Uh, you know, there certainly are. Yeah, so there there are certainly, um, you know, if, for instance, at uh, various centers, we have a center for supportive medicine uh, where we have, you know, everything from integrative medicine to other, you know, uh, ancillary specialists who have their own clinical trials who basically look at you know varying forms of rehabilitation or you know dietary involvement you know in the area of breast cancer for instance in our older patients we're looking at a uh, an or, uh, basically a dietary antioxidant fixetin and we're looking to see if you know this can actually help you know strength help our strengthen our older patients who are undergoing therapy um, and and have that translate to an improved quality of life by improving physical function. Uh, so you know we uh, so certainly um, the answer is definitely yes to that. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, and a question uh, for Dr. Tan: um, Can you address how HER2 low is different from HER2 negative, and the difference in treatments? Yeah, so this HER2 low terminology um, is a recent one, um, and it is, um, uh, the reason why it's, it's relevant is that there is a compound um, called trastuzumab deruxican, which is an antibody drug conjugate. It's a drug that targets HER2, and it's linked to a chemotherapy agent, um, and there's, um, uh, you know, it's approved to treat HER2 low, and it's Again, I think it's a entity that we still need um, more research on um, in, in, in terms of, um, you know, better identification of these patients because basically how we're identifying them um, is based on um, protein testing and results of in situ hybridization testing. Um, but certainly um, there are, again, I think what's relevant for this group um, is that for someone who is, or for breast cancer, uh, for patients with breast cancer that that we're calling triple negative, um, could also have the label of being um, HER2 low, um, you know, based on the definition. Um, so certainly um, on the trials that, that were conducted with this antibody drug conjugate in patients that were identified to be HER2 low, there were about, um, you know, a small subgroup of patients um, that were, um, um, you know, defined as triple negative. Um, so, so it, so it, so it could be a. Um, I think what's important is that that drug could be a potential treatment option now for metastatic um, triple negative breast cancer patients. Excellent, thank you. And a question uh, for um, for Dr. Smith. I am a triple negative breast cancer survivor. Currently, no evidence of disease. Still experiencing chemo brain, reduced short-term memory, and reduced cognitive processing, and peripheral neuropathy. Are there any clinical trials investigating methods to improve such long-term side effects in triple-negative breast cancer survivors? Uh, that's a great question, and yes, there certainly are. And I would probably, again, look to, to clinicaltrials.gov 
I know there are several um, clinical trials uh, that that would be seen within either, uh, you know, uh, chemotherapy-induced cognitive decline or, um, you know, uh, nerve damage, neuropathy from chemotherapy. So, you know, those, and, and it's great. That's a great question because those are active areas of interest. Um, for instance, at our own institution, um, we're really looking to see kind of from a holistic standpoint as well as just, um, you know, from a pharmacologic or, you know, drug standpoint, you know, what um, what substances might be of help would be a benefit. And, you know, we talk triple negative, but patients, for instance, who have hormone receptor positive breast cancer who are on endocrine therapy can, you know, uh, also experience cognitive uh, impairment from being on, you know, hormone uh, endocrine therapy. So it's it's an active area of investigation. I would certainly look into clinicaltrials.gov and you'll probably find, you know, several of, of these trials within your within your area. Thank you so much. Thanks. And the question is Dr. Tan. If a parent died of breast cancer, but the 71-year-old daughter has no cancer, would you recommend testing for BRCA? No, there are um, there are very specific um, guidance from our professional societies um, with regards to who should be tested. Um, and so I would um, or I, I'd recommend that anyone in this particular situation, um, you know, the, the best way is to have that discussion um, with um, the, your provider, your medical oncologist, just because there's there there's could be like like what could impact this is other effect, other family members that may be affected and that may also have other cancers. So um, I guess it's just not enough for me to, um, you know, say yay or nay with that limited amount of information. Um, but again, there are very, um, we've done a good job, I think, over, over the years that we have good guidelines on, um, you know, given X number of relatives involved with X, like, let's say, you know, because, the, someone who has a BRCA or a person who, who might be suspected to have BRCA gene mutation, there could be a history of prostate cancer, pancreatic cancer. Like there needs to be a deep dive, you know, into that detailed family history as well as personal history, um, you know, to, to determine the appropriateness of genetic testing. Thank you. And a uh, question for Dr. Um, Smith. Um, can you please share if you have knowledge of phase three clinical trials for antibody conjugates or triple negative vaccines happening now? If so, how many are there at phase three? Uh, so, okay, so good question. So phase three, I mean, yes, uh, antibody drug conjugate, phase three, as mentioned, for triple negative, we have, you know, for instance, we have two trials that we participate in called um, Tropion Breast 03 and Tropion Breast 02. Um, and that is, uh, you know, enrolling at multiple sites throughout the country. Uh, again, looking at the data DXD that we discussed, I think for, uh, for vaccine, that's likely going to fall more into the phase one, uh, or phase one, phase two. And we do have actually vaccine trials here, um, that we are, that, um, triple negative breast cancer patients do fall under. Uh, so yes, uh, we, we, there are both and and uh, available throughout the country. Thank you so much. Thank you. And um, a question for Ms. Four is about um, uh, support groups for women with triple negative breast cancer. If you could just say a little bit about the online support groups. Oh, yes. Great. Thank you so much for that question. Uh, so to talk a little bit more about the online support groups uh, currently through Cancer Care, these are free 15-week groups. And uh, usually the purpose or really the great benefits is to reduce those feelings of loneliness or any anxiety, uh, distress that you may be feeling during a diagnosis, especially, you know, throughout your triple negative breast cancer uh, treatment and beyond. Uh, it can help you learn new ways to cope uh, and really hopefully increase those feelings of empowerment. Um, you can also learn practical information, you know, from your peers, and you'll learn a little bit more about how to communicate with your loved ones. Um, I hope that answers that question. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks. And for Ms. Um, uh, Barry, if you could just address um, just a little bit about um, uh, being a, a, a cancer thriver and just the thriver, um, I think it's Thriver Tuesdays, if you want to say a little bit about that. 
Absolutely. Um, I'm proud to say that in March, I'm going to be an 11-year triple negative breast cancer survivor. Um, I'm a BRCA carrier. Um, there was a lot of breast cancer in my family, and I was I was very lucky to be uh, very closely monitored and, and diagnosed uh, at stage one with no node involvement. So I'm very proud to be a survivor, and I absolutely love our uh, Zoom chats, uh, which you can go to tnbcfoundation.org. And we have uh, Metastatic Mondays, we have Survivor Tuesdays, we, we have really, uh, we, we, we purposely uh, shift around the timing of the calls so that um, no matter where you are located around the globe, you can tune in. But these are not recorded, they are Zoom calls, and you can uh, choose to show your, your video or not. You can be as involved or as little as, as possible. Uh, whatever is most comfortable for you, but we find that it's a great way for patients to share ideas, share what their different treatments are, because sometimes, you know, your doctor may not know about every single option that's available, so it's a wonderful way to exchange of what's working and what's not, and honestly, it's been also a great way for, for um, our community to build friendships outside of uh, breast cancer. There have been uh, women that have met Outside of the, uh, the the Zoom groups, we have we have uh, our you know no one fights alone gala every year, so it's it's really a wonderful home that I certainly wish I had 11 years ago for um, for our patient community to take advantage of and connect because there's truly nothing better than connecting with um, others that are going through the same thing. Well, thank you so much. And now I'm going to ask each of our speakers in the order that they presented, so Dr. Tan, then Dr. Smith, then Ms. Barry, and then Ms. Fours. Um, to give a takeaway of what you'd like people to take away from today's call. Um, probably just a minute takeaway of what you would like them to remember about today's call. Do you want me to start, Director? Yes, please. Uh, yeah, so this is Dr. Tan. Um, you know, I, I think um, yeah, this, this has been a great program, I want to say, and even I learned a lot, too, about the availability of resources for our TMBC patients. Um, but, but I guess I... I I'd say that, you know, whatever whatever the motivation is when you choose to participate in a clinical trial, um, you know, you're, you're really a partner in this um, scientific discovery. And I think, um, you know, participating in research, as has been said before, can, can help future generations um, and also, um, you know, impact the care of those patients. Um, and, and really, you know, these types of major medical breakthroughs that we learn through clinical trial work really would not be able to happen um, without the altruism of, um, of, of patients who participate in, in those trials. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. And Dr. Smith? Uh, yes, thank you again for having me on. I would just say again, triple negative breast cancer, it, it's kind of a wastebasket term, meaning that a lot of different cancers with molecular subtypes get grouped into triple negative simply because they don't express estrogen receptor, progesterone receptor, HER2. So we need to learn more about the individual subtypes of these cancers. Clinical trials enable us to do that. I think what benefits the patient is to uh, be proactive, uh, seek second opinion uh, purely for the purpose of uh, clinical trial opportunity outside your own institution, if no other reason, and even ask about other options, as I mentioned, remote second opinions and that sort of thing, um, and, uh, and be uh, proactive on your part. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Smith. And Ms. Sari. Yes, thank you, Dr. Messner, for, for having us all here today. I've certainly learned a few great things as well. I would say my key takeaways are, of course, as board chair for the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, to be sure to use our resources, tnbcfoundation.org. We have a tremendous amount of resources there, including our Zoom chats, which are so important, as I recently mentioned, as well as our matching service for clinical trials. And something that I'm learning also as a, as a survivor is that clinical trials are not a last resort. They're, they're almost really like more of an upgrade to standard of care. So uh, definitely, you know, if you're on the fence about it, go for it. I think it's such a wonderful um, way to uh, advance your care and also advance science. Thank you so much. Thank you. Excellent. And Ms. Forrest. Uh, thank you. Yes, and I would just take the moment to reiterate or stress that it's okay to ask for help. I know it's not always easy to do, but please know you don't have to go through, you know, these decision makings alone. Uh, talk to an oncology social worker as you consider your options. You know, sometimes it's helpful to just talk it out. Um, and the 
social workers can help with emotional and other practical practical concerns as you uh, make these decisions. And again, the triple negative breast cancer uh, foundation helpline is uh, staffed by oncology social workers for this support. And that uh, that phone number again is toll free. It's eight seven seven eight eight zero eight six two two. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to thank our speakers. You've been phenomenal. I want to thank our participants. Really, because really had some great questions today. I have to say, um, although we've done this program before, I have to say this. Uh, this call was phenomenal, and uh, it was because of the speakers and the participants as well, working so closely together, and just a great call. Now, I do want to acknowledge the fact that I know some of you are still in queue. We didn't get to everyone's question, so I want to comment about the questions. For those of you who asked a question, those of you who have a question that's in queue, or for those of you who are thinking of a question, for all three groups, please take your question back to your treating healthcare team and ask them. Hopefully you've learned something today from this program, and so it'll make your question more informed. And keep asking your physician, the healthcare team. Remember, your healthcare team consists of many people. It is your oncologist. It is your um, the oncology nurse, oncology social worker, um, resource navigation, patient navigation, finance navigation, there's a whole team of people on, on your healthcare team. Understand that if you ask a question of your doctor, if they don't have the answer, they will connect you to someone on their team. Also, you do have, of course, the resources of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care. So we would not want anyone to leave this call feeling like you're alone. We want you to know that you're now part of a community of support, and we are here to help you. I want to thank you all for your participation today, and I want to wish you all very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.